Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans, and welcome to another exciting episode of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is March 19th, 2012. We've got a great show for you this week on the podcast. Episode number 213. We have Gerard Martinez. He's not going to be on this week, but we had a lot of questions for him. We will do a Trojan Blast episode a little bit later in the week, so stay tuned for that. We do have Dan Weber. Coming up later on the show, he's got a lot of NCAA talk to get to, and we have Coach Harvey Hyde here in the first segment, as always. Coach, what's going on, sir? How are you? Well, I'll tell you, it's going pretty good, buddy. Uh, we had a rainy weekend, which sort of cleaned up everything. It was great. And I always used to say it's a successful spring as far as the USC, when you don't read anything in the newspaper about anybody getting in trouble. <laughs> so everybody will be back on campus today, or they came back Sunday and uh, they'll be ready to go and spring practice goes into its second week. It certainly does and uh, I wanted to, before we get into all the, the questions we have today, we have a bunch of them, let's uh, thank our sponsor, Southern California Tickets. You can go to sctickets.com or give them a call 1-800-888-7287 if you need tickets for anything. Check them out, go to sctickets.com and they will certainly help you out and we do have questions, Coach, today, and I want to let people know you can email us, podcast at uscfootball.com, or you can call 206-888-6755 and leave a voicemail, or go right on peristylepodcast.com and click on the left side of the page to leave a voice message right on the webpage. You can do that as well. We have one of those today. And, uh, Coach, we, you, I, I was on your show uh, over late last week, over the weekend, and I appreciate you letting me do that. We got to talk a little bit about this whole uh, Josh Shaw and Amir Carlisle situation with the NCAA. And maybe we could start off with that and, and kind of get your thoughts on the NC2A allowing Amir Carlisle to transfer without penalty going to Notre Dame. Well, you know, first of all, uh, Notre Dame's a special school. I know we have a lot of people out there that uh, went to Notre Dame or they love the rivalry between USC and Notre Dame. But again, it's it's something that makes no sense, and we all know that. Immediately a kid transfers, there's no hardship, there's no waivers, there's no reason. Dad gets a new job, and the kid wants to go with him, and all of a sudden Notre Dame files a waiver and the kid's eligible. My main thought for that is because Notre Dame, they got to get him back into a BCS bowl game. they got to get him back to where they're 10-2 and two and they get the national ratings and they get the money from television and advertising and so on. You know, the more these things start to happen, the more I see this really becoming a huge business. I mean, they're even talking about playoff games without being in the bowl, without being in bowl games, within the conferences and so on, where the money all goes to the conference. And what happens to the loyalty of all the bowl games for all the past hundreds of years when you put them all together that have supported college football with the packages and the trips and the tradition and all of that? And I think it's all wrapped around that. I, I don't know. They don't have to follow any rules. They do whatever they want to do. 
There's no justification. There's no one coming out and saying why he was eligible. They don't have to explain it whatsoever. And uh, it just shocked me. That's the best way. I mean, I think anybody, if that is like anybody who wants to transfer, can transfer, get released, and apply for a waiver. That's what it opens the door to. But will it happen? I don't think so. Josh Shaw is the best example. Josh comes to USC and has a a real legitimate hardship situation with his grandma and family and so on. They still haven't addressed it. Now, don't get me wrong, uh, probably, maybe in the best interest of Joss, it would be the red shirt because he wouldn't use a year of eligibility. SC currently right now has some good safeties and corners and so on, and a year from now, he'll have three years of eligibility, and he'll be able to graduate, which is the number one thing all student-athletes want to do. But it's the idea of them taking their time with certain schools and reacting immediately with other schools. There's double standards everywhere within the NCAA. There's double standards all over the place, and we do get a bunch of uh, questions about that, I think, almost each and every week. And it's unfortunate, Coach, but it's something that happens. We're going to talk with Dan Weber about a little bit more, too. In the next segment, I wanted to get your initial thoughts on that. I think you speak for most USC fans out there. Um, Melvin also had another question. The other uh, recent decision by the NCAA came down from the University of North Carolina. Uh, the punishment they received, which is, you know, essentially about half of what USC got. Um, I mean, actually less than that. But Melvin wanted to know, uh, he felt that the the punishment for the NCAA uh, for violations in three categories, academic fraud, improper benefits, and unethical conduct by the administration at North Carolina, yet they still got less than half the penalties that USC got. Why was USC worse than this? North Carolina involved more players and directly implicated the school, uh, and they didn't use the word should have known, like was the, the, what happened in the USC case. Uh, the school did know, sorry to go over this old news, but he wanted to say something, and I think a lot of USC fans felt this way as well. It's almost like the Trojan fans are numb to what's been going on when every decision that the NCAA makes just seems to be throwing mud in the face of, of USC fan base. Well, I don't think I don't think anybody's really surprised. Wait till the Oregon situation gets cleared up. It'll be the same type of situation. And I think right now, I think the NCAA is embarrassed to say, we made a mistake with USC. We can't keep doing that. We have these huge television contracts, and if we go ahead and put Oregon on what we gave SC, we put North Carolina on what we gave SC, they didn't do it with Ohio State and all the other schools out there, who are we going to have on TV and who are we going to have in the bowl games? And it's not going to be what uh, television and entertainment wants. Remember, college football is entertainment. It gets ratings. It, it means so much to the marketing agencies and what people pay for their uh, spots and promotions and so on. They run on run during the game. So uh, the NCAA will never admit that what they did to USC cannot be justified. Never, never admit it. But they should. If they're up, that they always start an investigation by saying this. All right, we'd like you to sign this statement. We'd like you to say everything you're going to say is the truth. And if we find it isn't the truth. You may never again ever play, if you're a player, in the NCAA association. Or if you're a coach, you'll never coach again in the NCAA. We'll ban you. So they scare the heck out of you before you even start. 
so immediately, you know, you don't know what they know, but you know what you know. And what you know maybe isn't anything really significant, but you're just going to spill your guts from the way they 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 uh, scare you when they first come in. It's not like you're innocent until you're proven guilty. You're guilty until you're proven innocent. And how do they prove you uh, innocent? They, they don't have to. So uh, let's get realistic. North Carolina, USC, Ohio State, USC, Oregon, USC. If you put all the other three universities together and throw Auburn in there, okay, on how they approved Cam Newton in two days, throw that in, and they don't combined have the penalties that what USC has. Especially, what about the free agency? I mean, and nothing, and nothing against those players that left. We want to, we wish them all the best of luck. And the same with Amir Carlisle who left. We wish them all the best of luck. But when you released him, did you really think Lane Kiffin that he was going to line up and play against you next year? I mean, that's absolutely ridiculous. What it does, you try to help a kid, and you know what happens? The NCAA comes back on you, and now you say, why did we do that? And I hate to say that. When you want to hit a, help a kid, you don't want to say, why did we do that? You want to say, we're glad we helped that kid. So that's the situation they put you in. They certainly do, Coach. And uh, I know people don't like to talk about this a whole lot, but we get so many questions, and it comes up a lot. And I think a lot of people want to say, well, just I don't want to talk about the NCAA anymore. And I think there's there's a, a good reason not to want to talk about it. But when things like this happen, and we do get a whole bunch of questions that come in, we kind of have to bring it up again. But I do want to talk about some team stuff, Coach. Good. And uh, let's go. <laughs> I know. Um, you were out there at practice on Saturday, the last practice. Uh, before they took uh, off for spring break. We do have a voicemail question on uh, middle linebacker position, so maybe you can uh, tackle this one. Here you go. Ryan, good morning. It's Hector. Hey, Ryan, I have a question on our middle linebacking position. It seems like a lot of praise is being piled by Hazleton on the outside guys, and we continually hear how loaded we are up there in recruiting and that we're really focusing on middle linebacker at this point. My question is, what kind of job is Lamar Dawson doing? I don't hear much about him uh, so far in spring practice. He's not getting the same kind of praise from Hazleton as some of the other guys are, and we seem to be focusing on looking for backups. I know part of that's depth, but uh, could you please give me an idea from your perspective how Lamar looks, especially relative to his wearing the famous number 55 jersey thank you very much good question and obviously this comes from a father whose son is playing middle linebacker playing linebacker at usc uh i being at one practice did not have the opportunity to watch lamar dawson that much all i can go by is what he did last year I saw one scrimmage. Uh, it's hard to watch everything, and I did not focus on him. As far as him becoming a great linebacker, I thought in the situation he was put in a year ago, I thought he did a tremendous job for a freshman. He has all the abilities to be uh, or live up to what 55, the number 55 is. He needs to grow. He started as a freshman and he will become a great player. Now, you always have to have 
depth at all your positions. So, yes, there is some talk about who's going to back up Lamar Dawson if he gets hurt. Scott, uh, Scott Starr cert, uh, certainly uh, is uh, going to be challenged at that position. He's been moved there. He's playing there. I watched him a little bit just to become accustomed to him because I don't know much about him. I thought for a big kid he ran really well. I looked up his 40 time, and he runs somewhere around 4.7, which is really uh, a good time for a kid that has that size. I think that's where he should play. He should play in the strong linebacker position or the middle linebacker. I think he'll learn to fill well. He's a tough kid. He's hard-nosed. Reminds me a little bit of Clay Matthews. Uh, maybe a head maybe of Clay. Uh, not that, you know, I'm not trying to put Clay down, but uh, certainly coming in from high school has, has done really well. So, you know, normally if you have more than two deep at the level of, of, of saying you can win with that position, then you should be pretty good. Uh, more than two at one position, then you drop off some. But at USC, you're very fortunate you don't drop off at some positions. You really don't. I think the secondary, you don't drop off. Outside linebackers, you don't drop off much. I think Madden had a great scrimmage the other day, uh, the young kid from Mission Viejo, that linebacker. So uh, I just think that uh, it's hard to judge him so early, but you've got to have depth. You've got to have somebody learning that position just like Dawson learned it last year, and he replaced Glippo and came in and did one heck of a job. So it's a little early to be able to you know, know what's going on there at the middle linebacker position or any position, really, because they haven't got enough turns. But, turns, but, but at, towards the end of the spring, I hope I'll be able to give you a better answer. I don't mean to dodge the question. Yeah. Except they don't really know what the answer is. And it's tough, you know, and I was out there for practice too, Coach. And maybe a good thing for Lamar Dawson was you didn't notice what he was doing. It wasn't like he wasn't making big plays, but he wasn't getting beat or burned. And um, we'll we'll definitely try to check it out a little bit more. There is a lot of depth issues there right now, but I I don't think there's any question that he's the clear-cut number one starter there, and I, I think the coaches have confidence in him. Scotty Hazleton's trying to learn. The new linebacker coach is trying to learn all these guys as well. And uh, it, probably less of a, an issue for him at middle linebacker because he knows he's going to start there. It doesn't really matter. Uh, but we'll see. We'll definitely keep looking forward to what's going on uh, at the middle linebacker position uh, through practice. And, you know, they put pads on more. We'll see more and more of that. Uh, Greg in the OC had a question, Coach. He said with two Graduate assistants, Knight, uh, Sammy Knight and Justin Mesa, finishing their final year of eligibility. Any word on who would be considered for the two graduate assist- assistant vacancies? Who is currently coaching the tight end position in practice? And just to give Greg an update, uh, Sammy Knight's not on the staff any longer. Um, so he is not there, but Justin Mesa is still there doing the tight end position. And I'm not really sure, Coach, maybe you know something, but it doesn't seem like this is something they plan out in advance. It kind of like, happens when they bring in new jet graduate assistants no i really don't know uh, i haven't uh, even thought about that but it's something that coaches think a lot about it because uh, it's important that you have a, a kid that's a graduate assistant that potentially might become a full-time assistant someday p carroll did that a lot with his staff maybe too much uh, you've got to have youth yet you've got to have experience you've got to have a good have to have a good combination uh, I've said this many times on the show, and I'll say it again. Uh, 
if I was going to hire a graduate assistant today with all the number of spreads that are going on and Wildcats and all of that type of offense, I would bring in a graduate assistant that played at Oregon or coached at Oregon or at one of these schools that run this offense and knows this offense completely and knows the reads, knows everything about it. And not only would he coach a position, but he'd be in charge of the scout team. And he would drill that scout team every single day in spring ball, every single day in the fall. He would have period a period or two where he would be able to run that offense as good as not really the team you're going to play, but have that offense really function to look as though or as close to as the team you're going to play. Because the Pac-12 has become a spread offensive uh, conference. You take Washington State and Rich Rodriguez and, and Oregon. Everybody's spreading the ball out. Really, the only pro teams now left in the uh, Pac-12 are Stanford, I think Cal. Washington's even gotten away from it. And I don't know what UCLA's going to run. But uh, maybe Arizona State will run some type of a pro offense. But uh, that's it. So I'd bring in some type of GA that knows the Wildcat, that knows uh, the offense, a quarterback somewhere that did play in it. I would even have him call the plays the same way in the numbering systems of everything that that university did so that he knows it and could answer questions to the defensive coordinator, Monty Kiffin or whoever, when asked, what is the read on this, or why do they put this formation, why is that in motion, why is that kid in motion? And I've had, I'd have him help break down the films on your opponent that's running it. And, and I think you've got to do that. You've got to have somebody that's familiar with the spreads, and somebody who's played in it that can assist you intelligently for game planning and running your scout team. That would be something I'd automatically do. Makes sense, Coach. And I, there's a, I don't know when the rule kicks in, but there's going to be now four graduate assistant coaches instead of two per year. So um, I think that's great. I don't know if it's coming this year or next year, Coach. I I'm, I think I don't think it's this year, but it was, it's probably next year. But that'll be interesting. I, I didn't even know that. We used to have it that way. And then, the, of course, you know, the NCAA was trying to save money, and so they did away with it. But uh, that's great. I didn't even know that. Yeah, I'll have to Google that and make sure. So write us in. Write if you know anything about that. Write us into the show podcast at uscfootball.com. But we'll we'll research that for you. I believe that's what's coming. I just don't know exactly when. Uh, let's see. Mitchell wants to know, Coach, since Pete Carroll recruited him, Kevin Green has been a raw talent, raw in quotes, with great measurables. Four year later, four years later, he is still raw and hasn't quite put it together. What is exactly is holding him back? Play awareness, rushability tackling any thoughts coach on uh kevin green you know i haven't seen enough of him to really give you a, an intelligent question i think he was a not a question mark but he was a, a push when they brought him in I, I didn't know that much about him he was tall he was quick and i think he'll he'll end up playing uh you're right he's he's a senior <laughs> Junior eligibility-wise, uh, he's 6'4", about 260 pounds, runs pretty well. But, you know, he's had pretty good competition, too. So he really hasn't had that much of an opportunity to play. 
the defensive ends at USC have been all five-star recruits. When you look at them, Nick Perry and Kennard and so on, and it's been a, a difficult uh, situation to get playing time. I think that if he is going to play, this is the year he should play. He should be able to rotate in there. He's got good quickness. He's redshirted. He's a, he's a type of kid that I'll have to watch more to give an intelligent answer. I know he's 81 out there. Uh, next time I get out there, I'll try to watch him a little bit more to give our our listener more of a uh, more of an intelligent answer. Because I really don't know, and I haven't asked anybody, but if I can watch him a little bit, I'll be able to tell you if he has the talent to play at SC. Sometimes kids come in and they really have been misevaluated or misforecast on what how their body will grow into playing a certain position, and it just doesn't happen. It's not the kid's fault. It's just the coach's fault because coaches sometimes make mistakes. And I'm not saying they made a mistake on Kevin Green. I think he'd be a great. He's a great talent, but maybe the talent at USC has been greater. So sometimes you have to look at that. It's it's hard, Coach, and, and we get questions like this a lot. And if it's a guy that's not playing, you don't get to see him as much. Uh, but, if you know, you look at, like, the Kyle Prater situation. We watch him quite a bit, um, especially when he comes in as a five-star. And in practice, it looked like he definitely was playing well enough to get in the games, yet he wasn't getting in the games. And I think at certain times when we've seen Kevin Green um it did look like he was playing well enough to get into the games. It's just something we, we haven't seen him in. And, I, you know, you, you come from the coaching ranks, it, and this seems to happen quite a bit where we're watching practice, but we're not in all the, the meetings and film sessions and all that stuff. And if there's something lacking somewhere else, um, an attitude, I'm not saying anything about his attitude. I have no idea. But there, there could be some things off the field that we don't know about. Um, it's hard to tell, and a guy like Kyle Prater, I mean, you can hear rumors of stuff what's going on, but just from watching practice alone, it looked like he would be able to come in and play, at least contribute in some way, and Kyle Prater hardly ever got in the field, and I think you could say a lot of the same things about Kevin Green. It, it did look like, you know, he's a talented kid, like you said. He's got the measurables, but for whatever reason, we just haven't seen him out there to, to really show what he can do. And, you know, I want to clarify this. If you listen to me, when I do my shows or I'm on here with Kev, uh, with Ryan, I, I want you to know I'm not a big advocate of rotating and playing a lot of people during the game. I'm a big advocate in letting players get used to the turn and the repetitions and the feel. And what you see a play and you get beat, you play it different the next time. You remember when you make a mistake or you remember how you made a great play. You know, I wasn't in favor of this running back by committee and all of that. I've never been in favor of that. Even last year, I kept saying, leave Curtis in there and let him get the field. The offensive line will get the field, and all of a sudden, he ends up with 1,000 yards. Uh, if you put Prater in last year, everybody would be yelling, why'd you take Lee out? Why'd you take Lee out? Why'd you take Woods out? Who would ever take those two guys out? It, not that he's not a great player, but there's a rhythm of the game, and a quarterback and a receiver get to know each other. They get the feel. They can look at each other and know exactly what they're going to do by throwing to a spot. Same with the handoffs to a running back and the feel of a running back being able to read the defenses and block the proper person. So I'm not real big at playing a lot of people. Yeah, I'm big at rotating, but I don't like drop-offs. And uh, if you're doing and playing well and so on, remember today you're never out of a football game. 
you can be up by 20 points in the fourth quarter and lose because of the wide-open offenses that are out there. They can so, score so quickly. You know, with the new rules now next year, can you imagine the, the new kickoff rule? I don't know if you guys know about it. I hate to go to rules all of a sudden. But they're taking a lot of the excitement out of the game for safety, which you're going to kick off from the 35-yard line next year. You only get a five-yard run at the football. And if the ball goes into the end zone for a touchback and you don't run it out, which most balls will go into the, touchback, uh, into the uh, end zone, you get the ball on the 25-yard line because they don't want to have kickoff returns or kickoff in the collisions. So what's going to happen that the Anthony Thomases, if he's one of your great running backs, look at Oregon and FC's got him and everybody else, your great athlete you recruit, how many chances is he going to get to run the ball out? So remember when the Anthony made that big touchdown return on a kickoff against USC? That wouldn't have been there, probably, with the new rules. So, you know, you got to look at all the changes and things that are going on around college football and the safety things they're putting in and the new blocking rules. I don't want to get into rules now. Maybe one show will do that. But, uh, uh, you know, I'm one that likes to get let kids get in there, get a rhythm and play. And uh, you're never sure. I'll tell you, I used to say, don't substitute yet, don't substitute yet, until I knew for sure we'd won the football game. That makes sense, Coach. Uh, we'll see. Yeah, so hopefully we'll get you some more info on Kevin Green and Maybe we'll see him in the rotation if he's working his way up there. Uh, one last thing. Troy75 had a little bit of a question here. Let me read it for you. He says, I think Coach Hyde's sagely advice would be very helpful to all parents who have youngsters interested in competitive sports. Here's my comment and question for Coach Hyde. I can't help but admire your attitude toward working with young people. For example, sometimes a pat on the back, sometimes a kick in the butt. Whatever the individual athlete needs to progress and grow, but it seems that some coaches lack this basic insight, and I wonder if those folks should be in the coaching business at all. I know youngsters, I know of youngsters who have been turned off by sports entirely because of a bad coach. It seems like a terrible waste. Coach, how would you counsel a kid who has a bad coach, and what should a parent do if they think their youngster is having a bad sports experience because of the coach? I know this doesn't have anything to do with Trojan football. But I think your advice to all parents would be greatly appreciated. That's from Troy75. Well, you know, it's amazing. I had someone ask me that the other day that was having a problem with his son in high school, and I suggested to him what you need to do is you need to call up that coach as a parent, not yell and scream at that coach, and say, I need to meet with you, and I'm not, I don't want a lot of your time. I just want some of your time because you coach my son. And I'm very, you know, very much concerned. I want him to be very successful. Plus, I want the team to be successful. I would like to just talk to you about some of the things that I think would could help you know more about my son. Since I've raised him for 18 years or so on, and I watched him be motivated. And Or if he's a young kid, if you're talking about Little League or Pop Warner or something like that, it's the same thing. A lot of personalities just clash. A lot of people, and I tell you, I used to have t discussions with my coach, coaches, when I used to see them or abuse kids or so, and I'd call them in, I'd tell them, hey, don't ever talk to that kid like that again, or don't ever call him a name like that again. 
or anything like that because that isn't doing you any good with your relationship with the kid or helping that kid perform any better. Now, I think communication is the best way to solve things. You can't sit and yell at a game at the coach. You can't sit and yell and get all mad, tell your wife what's going on, but that doesn't help in the situation. You've got to be able to communicate where the problem is. You've got to be able to actually sit down with that coach and not act like you know it all, but sit down and go in and say, Coach, I know my son or my daughter, and I don't think we're getting the full potential out of them because of this reason. And try to reason out and say, Coach, do you agree with me, or do you think I'm wrong? And what what is the reason, or what what why are you coaching in the way you're coaching? We just need to know so we can help you bring out what you're trying to get out of him too when he's at home, and we talk to him. Sometimes coaches, and I hate to say this, are wrong, completely wrong with the way they treat kids. And sometimes parents think their kids are better than what they are and they should be told the truth as far as evaluation of their kids because parents always have a little bit of an edge on saying my kid should be playing more it's always the way it is but a coach has to have the passion to understand how those parents feel this is their son or daughter so they have to have that passion to understand that they want them to play and you have to be able to listen to them and give them the time Let's do them, not turn them off. And I'll tell you what really upsets me, if they don't return your call. And if they don't return your call, a coach, and I don't care what level it is, then you go over their head. And they can't complain about you going over their head because you can tell them, I don't want to go over your head, but you never returned my call. So I had no alternative. And that's on any level, any level. I'm talking about... Pop Warner, Little League, I don't care what it is. If a coach won't return your call or talk with you, then you care about your kids enough where you need to have a communication with that coach or the commissioner in the Pop Warner League or Little League or whatever, or the head coach at USC or wherever. Because it's very important that a parent feels good and a coach understands how a parent feels for several reasons. First of all, for the best interest of that kid. Next thing is also you want happy players on your team. You don't want kids unhappy or moping or not feeling they're getting a chance. And also because of the relationships you have with those parents and kids in recruiting. And also that kid will not perform in the classroom if he's not happy on the football field. So there's many reasons why you have to have a great communication with parents and coaches. So if you're calling or you're if you're asking this question because you you need some answers some questions answered, don't be afraid. Don't be intimidated. Don't be afraid to call and say I need to talk with you. Do you have a minute? And try not to do it on the phone. Find some time where you can sit and go eyeball to eyeball where expressions and everything, you have someone's attention. And you don't need to do it in front of your son or daughter. You can do it on your own. Most times players will say, Dad, don't do that. They'll hate me. 
And when you go in, tell them, I've n- my son doesn't even know I'm here. Because they don't want, kids don't want to think they're complaining, and parents just want to care about their kids. And that's what it comes down to. Well, sage advice, Coach. Thanks very much for that question. I know it was a little bit off uh, topic there, but I thought it would be good for a lot of our listeners out there to hear what you had to say. Um, but thanks again. Uh, another great segment with you, Coach. We're going to get Dan Weber coming up in the next segment. But thanks for joining us on the show, and uh, we'll look forward to talking to you again next week after another uh, week of practice in the books. Thank you very much, Ryan, and thank you, uh, everyone out there, for sending your questions in or calling in or whatever you do. And Ryan, have a great week, and uh, we'll see you later. Sounds good, Coach. Thanks again, everyone else. Hey, back in 30 seconds, talking with Dan Weber. Stay tuned for that. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287, 1-800-888-7287, that's 1-800-888-7287, or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. We have Dan Weber on the line joining us this week on the show. What's up, Dan? How are you doing? Pretty good. Looking forward to getting back to some uh, football. Yeah, week off. It was kind of weird. I mean, it, it, it's almost like the offseason started again, but tomorrow practice is back, you know, back on and you got another four weeks of spring football. It's just kind of weird mentally adjusting to three, three days of practice and then uh, you know more than a week off. I think it's, I really like it actually. I mean, I think it, it's got them a taste of it. Uh, you know, the one day in pads, uh, it gives them, you know, the extra, you know, nine days or so for some of the guys to heal up. And, uh, and I think it's, uh, I think they'll come back, uh, you know, a little bit refreshed, uh, from uh, spring break. So, uh, actually, just, you know, we, we ha- I don't think anybody had done it that way before, but it, I, I kind of like the idea. I think, uh, I think it works pretty well. I've got, you know, Four weeks is is about the normal amount of time you take for spring ball anyway. So uh, and they'll just spread it out more, have more time in between, you know, more chances to you know go over the go over the film and think about what they're doing and all that. So um, uh, I think it works pretty well. Yeah, and we uh, you know you can check out on peristylepodcast.com. We have our interview with T Martin that we did uh, last Wednesday during the break, and for a guy like him who is moving his family. Uh, you know, from Kentucky here to Los Angeles, his wife and, and seven-year-old son were there in, at McKay's restaurant, and it was a lot of fun to meet them, and they were all excited. His, his son said he didn't want to leave California ever. He doesn't, you know, he loves Los Angeles. I don't know. He hadn't been there all that long, but for them, the new coaches, I think it gives them a chance to kind of move in and get get, get some other things situated as well. Yeah, I think it, I think it, it's perfect timing, you know, when you've got three, uh, three new coaches and, uh, Gives them a chance, probably to to do all those kinds of things, the housekeeping things and the house moving things, and as well as uh, you know get caught up on their first week of practice and you know go over the film and go over all the you know situations and that. So I think it's it just uh, you know 
for all the reasons, maybe some we didn't even maybe, you know even think about. Uh, I think it was a good idea. Yep. Um, well, one of the things we wanted to get into, we got to talk to uh, Coach Hyde in the last segment about it, but I wanted to get your thoughts as well because it was kind of a head-scratching moment for all USC fans. Anytime something happens with the NC2A lately, USC fans end up comparing it to what happened to USC, how this was unfair, and it just seems to kind of go on and on. Right now, with the Amir Carlisle situation, we had JJB write in a question about that. He says, with Amir Carlisle being granted a waiver to play next year, does that guarantee Josh Shaw will also be granted a waiver? If not, how will the NCAA explain that? I under I understand Carlisle was asking for a hardship waiver. What is exactly what exactly is a hardship? Well, I think that's the really you know the definition uh, doesn't seem to be all that clear. Uh, and, and we really don't even know all the details of that. They don't release, uh, you know, anything. I mean, Notre Dame has talked a little bit about how uh, pleased they were with the way the compliance office jumped on it. I mean, I think most of us were really shocked when we found out that Notre Dame was going to actually ask for a hardship waiver. It was like, you know, it, what transfer isn't a hardship <clears throat> If Amir's qualifies for a hardship, one isn't. Now, the issue I've, I've got is is he's going to get three years of eligibility at Notre Dame. I don't have any problem with uh, with him being the next three years. I think, uh, you know, from USC standpoint, and he's your arch rival, and here he goes and, and gets eligible immediately. Uh, I think that's probably better for USC than if he would have sat out a year because basically – this keeps Amir head-to-head with his former class at USC, his classmates. And I think they're going to keep an eye on Amir. I mean, everybody liked Amir. Everybody respected him. Everybody uh, appreciated the way he went about his business uh, on and off the field and all of that. But he now will not be under the radar. If he was, you know, say, ineligible next year, and then he had three more years, he basically, his last year, would be kind of uh, against a USC team that, you know, didn't really know him, hadn't paid that much attention to him. And I just think from USC standpoint, if you're going to play him three years, you might as well play him the next three years because, uh, you know, I think chances are if there is a year where, you know, it's going to be a little tough in terms of, the you know, Paul D., you know, criminal sanctions uh, that the NCAA dropped on USC with uh, the combination, 15 scholarships, you know, 75 uh, maximum, uh, would be that next year, that fourth year out. And so uh, I think USC is better able to handle, uh, you know, all the competitive situations this year, next year, the year after. Uh, and, and that fourth year might be more iffy than the other three. Don't know. But uh, I think there's a chance that could be. So, you know, if you're going to have to play Amir three more years, you might as well have him the next three, two of them here in, uh, you know, in Los Angeles. And you've got the motivational factor. And, and you can't tell me that USC's kids aren't going to be motivated by some of these things. I mean, it's just, uh, it's just natural that uh, people are going to wonder, you know, why, you know, why does uh, Alex Stevenson, when he transfers from North Carolina in basketball, with uh, uh, more of a hardship, certainly, than, than anything that we know about Amir and wasn't given, uh, you know, wasn't given a waiver. Uh, what will happen with Josh Shaw? I'm not sure that 
the best thing is for Josh Bell to, you know, to get his waiver and play next year. He might be able to get it and not play. Certainly seems to have more of a hardship, uh, uh, you know, than the Notre Dame, or, you know, Notre Dame claim for a mirror that we know of. And yet that's the more, I think it's more evidence that the NCAA does what the NCAA wants to do, that an awful lot of it is decided by who, you know, who owes you what, who's on the committee, uh, all those kinds of things. And, uh, you know, whether they want to do it for you or whether they don't want to do it for you. And <clears throat> mostly we found out they don't care. They don't have to explain it. They just do it. You know, I mean, there are people still trying to justify the, you know, Mark Emmert, the president, still trying to justify the USC decision and penalties. Well, he knows he, knows he can't. He knows nobody believes him, and he still doesn't. So <laughs> I wouldn't get all that involved in this one. I think it works better for USC and probably better for Amir. So I'm, I'm happy with, with them doing it because it makes the point over and over again <clears throat> that we've all made about the NCAA. And you don't even have to argue it. The Notre Dame people really, uh, you know, understand now they they don't exactly justify uh, you know what happened uh, with you know with Amir and it also makes the point that USC did release him to Notre Dame uh, and you know that's not something that most of the Notre Dame fans thought that they would ever do to USC and it does put USC in kind of a big brother little brother I think relationship with Notre Dame that Notre Dame is uh is saying, please, can we have, you know, A, your transfer, and B, can we get him eligible right away? Uh, because we need him. And that's probably a good lesson in humility for the uh, the uh, folks in South Bend, I, I would think. I do think it's interesting, though, that there are now multiple people on the Committee on Infractions that decided the USC case whose schools have directly benefited Miami with at least two players, and now Notre Dame with uh, schools who have benefited from transfers from USC. Uh, not both under the same exact rule, but both with you know transfers that you say, what? Uh, how did that happen? So uh, I think the, the biggest problem here is if uh, Amir is able to go to you know USC first semester transfer second semester be eligible immediately and play the next year what is and uh, and and asking people to sit out for a year on a transfer if if it doesn't apply to a, you know Amir Carlisle here who does it apply to and how will the NCAA be able to say they don't have selective uh, justice uh, or selective uh, so they probably painted themselves into another corner. And again, I'm sure they don't care. Uh, and, uh, there won't be enough media, media attention to the, the kinds of double standards that, uh, you know, probably there should be. But, uh, I just think it, it makes the point that USC has been making for a long time that the NCA don't even begin to call it justice. Don't even begin to think of it as fair and don't even begin to uh, imagine that it has some kind of uh, uh, balance, that, that what is done for one school will be done for another. I mean, everything they do 
proves that that's not even remotely the case, and they don't care. So uh, I don't think we should ever get caught up in the fact that, wait a minute, that's not fair. Yeah, right, okay, <laughs> exactly. That's the point. Well, the... It's almost like they're trying to make the point that it, they don't have to be fair. They get to do what they want to do based on who's on the committee and what they think is uh, in their own best interest, not what's fair. The uh, I mean, you bring up an interesting point that it's actually be better for USC for Amir Carlisle to play right away. Uh, we'll see. I guess they could still redshirt him, but that's the big difference between Amir Carlisle and Josh Shaw. Josh Shaw has already used his redshirt year, so if he doesn't get to play right away, it's kind of like taking a year of eligibility away. Was that Would that be fair to say? Well, I guess that that, that is correct. Uh, uh, he would lose a year. I mean, it's not so much that I think USC needs him this year. Uh, yeah, that's you do make a good point. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I that's a yeah. I that believe is he did. A, Maybe I'm mistaken. I thought he did use his redshirt year while at Florida, and then I think you're right. That's yeah. true. He is uh, so. Uh, whether they would, yeah, how USC would use him next year. That's right. That would only leave him with two years of eligibility. I think you, that's a really good point. So I, yeah, I. Uh, so it would be always nice to have, you know, have that luxury. Um, and it'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, does this put, you know, pressure on the, that eligibility committee, uh, you know, to uh, to make the decision, uh, you know, in a comparable way. Uh, I don't know. USC doesn't have anybody on the committee on infractions, however. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's not that committee that makes the decision, but USC isn't quite on the same, uh, you know, uh, insider's, uh, you know, position, say, that maybe a Notre Dame has. I can't even imagine that USC would have even thought to request um, a hardship waiver, uh, uh, you know, in, in, a, in a transfer like that. Uh, I guess... Uh, Mike, uh, or excuse me, Kyle Prater hadn't thought to do so. And then I think uh, after uh, seeing the Amir Carlisle, I guess, uh, a transfer, I think Northwestern's even, uh, you know, considering checking in and seeing if they can get the same thing for Kyle as, uh, as Amir got for, uh, you know, at Notre Dame. Uh, I mean, Kyle, Kyle makes more see. sense. But it, it has, makes... has Notre Dame... Help the NCAA, in effect, wipe out their own transfer rule. After all those years, I mean, think of all the years and all the players who've just sort of automatically sat out a year after transferring. And now, is that like no longer relevant? I don't know. It, one would wonder. Well, with Kyle Prater, Dan, I mean, he grew up in that area. He's moving back home, at least. I mean, you can see if there's any kind of homesick hardship waiver. That would make sense for him. It didn't make well, sense for Amir Carlisle. That there was a personal, you know, that there was an issue with the family. It wasn't, you know, one of those things where it was just totally overwhelming in that. But, but he said that his mom was. There were there were some issues with uh, with his mom really wishing that he were back uh, and, and close to the family. So he he actually kind of stated it in a in a way like you know. It, it really is an issue, but I don't want to talk about it. Uh, and he didn't, you know, wasn't thinking of, of a hardship or anything. He was just saying, I'm just going back because my mom, I think, really would like to have me uh, closer there. Uh, and I, I'm sure if it was, you know, football would have been working out a little better for him. 
that might not been such an issue, but it, but it certainly seemed to uh, uh, you know be a part of the decision making for Kyle. So uh, you know, I I think you know, and good for him. I hope he does get get to be eligible if that's the best thing for him. All right, uh, let's see. Let's move on. We had a question, another NCAA question I thought we would address with you. I'm not sure if you know this, and I don't know if it's come out yet, but it said, did the NC2A allow free agency for North Carolina players like they did for USC players when they went on probation? Also, what other differences were there besides the 15-player reductions as opposed to 30 with USC and the one-year bowl ban as opposed to the two for USC? My understanding is that the NCAA rule officially does not kick in unless it's a two-year postseason ban, but that uh, North Carolina on their own basically said that their seniors could transfer. So that uh, it wasn't mandated, from what I understand, it wasn't mandated by the NCAA like it was in the USC case, and that North Carolina didn't have to release their seniors because it was just one year. I'm not sure how you know logical that is, but but then North Carolina, I think uh, preemptively said uh, a senior that wants to leave will be allowed to leave, uh, even though it's just the one-year bowl ban. But but my understanding is that it it needs to be two years, or uh, or the NCA rule doesn't kick in. But but I do understand they're going to let them go. Uh, I think the other differences. <clears throat> uh, North Carolina, in effect, it almost doesn't doesn't hurt them at all, because they're they're not limited to 80 scholarships, or you know they're they're you know limited to you know 15 or five a year, but they can still have 85 players on scholarship each of the you know those years. So uh, if you manage your your scholarships properly, uh, uh, you you don't come in with a, a squad of 75. I think the the, the kicker with the USC case uh, with the two years, the mandatory free agency, and then the, uh, uh, the combination of 15 scholarships per year for three years, and then 10 uh, playing with 10 scholarships fewer, something no one's ever been required to do. USC's case is uh, all by itself because no one has ever been asked to go through a year with fewer than 80 scholarships. To ask USC to do it for three years back to back to back is uh, is almost criminally uh, you know uh, wrong. I mean it, it, to ask a, a team in a, a contact collision injury sport to do that is uh, uh, the NCA went overboard. They know it. Uh, they wanted USC to have to go with far fewer than uh, even the 75 scholarships. It's uh, it's remarkable that USC was able to come up with a game plan that gives them a chance to manage it, uh, keeping close to the 75 uh, scholarships. But, uh, but uh, yeah, nobody has been hit with the double whammy that, uh, that they tried to use against. And they used USC's – the fact that USC wasn't over-recruiting, wasn't over-signing, uh, wasn't signing big classes and running kids off, they knew if they didn't hit USC with the double hit of, of minus 10 scholarships uh, offered a year plus a 10 scholarship uh, reduction for the uh, total squad uh, per year, that USC would be able to manage it without a problem. And that's because USC wasn't in the habit of, of you know, pushing the limits and oversigning. Uh, 
So uh, USC's own, the NCA by its own admissions and the penalties uh, made the point that USC wasn't cheating, wasn't pushing the envelope, was managing its resources well, was taking care of its scholarship players well in terms of uh, seeing that they stayed in school, seeing that they uh, weren't being run off and all that. But uh, that was used against USC. Uh, but you'll never hear the NCAA talk about that, how uh, USC was so good at, you know, at using, you know, fewer scholarships. I and mean, here's the NCAA, you know, they have a rule. It's now an absolute rule that you're allowed 25 scholarships a year, but only a total of 85 on the squad. Well, if you sign 25 a year, you got to run a bunch of people off every year uh, to keep to the 85. Well, we know a lot of programs do that. USC didn't. Did that benefit USC? No, it was used against USC. It made the penalty, they made the penalties harsher for USC. It's, again, it's one of the, the wonders of the NCAA that you just want to bang your head against the wall. <laughs> so you can't you know, be thinking about these people as uh, you know, that they're ever going to do anything fair or decent or honorable, uh, certainly in the USC case. Uh, and you know, that's just the way it is. It is. All right. Well, Dan, we appreciate you coming on the show again and talk another with some bunch of NCAA talk, but next week we'll get back to all the football talk as USC will be back practicing again. But thanks again for your insights and we'll uh, talk to you again soon. Yeah. It's much better to be talking football than the NCAA. And, uh, and that I guess is the whole point of next season. It's going to be about football and just play the games and, and, and see what happens and, uh, and forget, you know, all right. Well, thanks again, Dan, and uh, everyone else. Thank you very much for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast. We really appreciate you embracing the show like you have. Tune again next week. Don't forget, we're going to do another Trojan Blast this week with Gerard Martinez. So stay tuned for that. But we'll be back with the regular podcast next Monday. Stay tuned, and thanks again for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.